Hello, this is Rudy Dorneman, and you're listening to Notes from an Imaginary Place. This is a podcast of short stories set in imaginary places. And this month's story is about greenhouses. Here we go. Greenhouses. The greenhouses are geodesic domes that cling like giant eyes to the branches of mile-high trees. The trees have been dormant for a decade and will remain nothing but bare gray bark for at least a couple more. Then the rains will be daily and soaking again, rather than once or twice yearly mistings. Through these dry years, the domes are the only green in this vast, skeletal forest, a desert of bare bark. The cartographer has come to map the trees. The last decent maps date to the previous dry period, a good 230 years back. Since then, branches have grown, new households have been bored out, and new bridges built. So, while the leaves are gone, she works, gathering images from as many angles as she can. When the leaves return, she might still be sorting through what she's accumulated, but she's confident she'll have at least the canopy's major treeways recorded, named, and cross-referenced. For the last great mapping exercise, a cartography team of 20 had swarmed through the treetops from greenhouse to greenhouse. But that had involved sketching everything by hand, followed by hours upon hours of laborious copying and compiling. She, however, has several portable cameras, with quick-change lenses and auto-winders, and can grab images nearly as fast as she can walk, taking just a few minutes' pause now and then to sketch the basic branch patterns for reference. She follows the branches, hikes stairs that spiral up and down the vast tree trunks, skitters over rope bridges that sway between branch paths, her camera shutters snapping, snapping, always snapping. She transcribes her root sketches each day into an accordion-fold notebook back at her rooms, an early version of what she'll have when she eventually develops all her photos and creates the fully detailed map. Week to week, it doesn't always look like she's making progress through the task before her. Often it looks like she's zigging and zagging, randomly bobbing around in the overstory, more a dance than a hike more a wander than any kind of systematic route. She uses green ink, an intense viridian that glistens when fresh from the pen, like some kind of vegetal blood. It has a smell that she thinks of as spring, although no one's lived through or smelled a springtime in generations and generations, and she only knows the term from reading the old histories. The color feels to her like a gesture of alliance with the future, when the vast and multitudinous leaves of the great trees will be all anyone can see in any direction, in a shade that matches her ink and a thousand shades more as well. Once the leaves do come back, the trees will begin to grow again, and the roots she will have mapped will change slowly, inexorably, Her map will be out of date as soon as the profusion of new leaves forces her to finish it. Travelers and treetop communities will need to keep updating it until the next dry spell pauses everything. 
Maps here are bound with multiple sheets of onion skin paper over every map page, allowing users to make additions and changes, and layers of further changes. In the green times, finding your way through the treeways is an active, largely improvised activity, and the best of her maps will never be more than a collection of starting hints. However, without her work, traveling anywhere will be that much more confusing, and the treetop community will spend far more time being lost. In dry times, however, traveling is easy, even if your destination isn't in sight the moment you step out of your dome or tree hole, a good portion of your path is. But nearly everyone feels nervous and exposed and rushes wherever they need to go. Most avoid even looking out when they're inside. Artists throughout the overstory are busy painting comfortingly leafy vistas on the greenhouse glass. Many of the greenhouse spheres are miniature forests themselves, as mazy and tangled within as the outside forest the cartographer is trying to map. Others are deserts with stacked levels of sand, stone, and succulents. Or pond globes half full of water whose surface is floored over with giant water lilies. Some are fields of grasses. Others capture moments of transition. Lakes silted partway into marshes. Marshes half-congealed into swampy fields. Fields half-taken over by berry brambles and softwood saplings. Thickets half-matured into full forests. Every greenhouse has its own map, maintained by a committee of residents, the same way there are committees that see to mulching and weeding, to watering and habitat maintenance. A super committee decided that only a single person would be needed to map all the branches of the giant trees outside. With 30 or 40 years to work, they said, there was no need to recruit a whole team. The cartographer suspects that they knew finding even one person would be difficult. To find her, they had to go all the way to the grasslands, where the vastness of the forest was just a smear of green on the horizon. It took hours for her to climb to the overstory, and nearly as long again for her to understand the task before her. Once she understood, it hadn't take much to convince her. The giant trees offered so much more challenge than she'd ever find as a mapmaker in the savannah, even if the scale of the challenge was occasionally overwhelming. Like many of the native treetop dwellers, the cartographer generally prefers the forest spheres to the other ecosystems. Her reasons are slightly different, though. Even the biggest greenhouse forests feel bounded, finite. She could map any of them in a week if she tried, if she wanted to. When her work in the miles-high forest outside becomes too much, she heads to a sphere full of pines, surrounded by a rich greenness, but so much less complex. It was in one of the pine spheres that she first noticed the wayfinding marks. Patches of moss with designs in three or four different shades of green. After she'd seen a few of them, she started sketching them on the front and back covers of her notebooks. She began to suspect that the recurring patterns were some kind of alphabet, living hieroglyphics on the bark. Soon she started spotting them outside other greenhouses, on the branches she was mapping, right before and right after each fork, and approximately every twenty paces between. And there was an order to the symbols. 
They seemed to be marking something, leading somewhere. She was sure these signs had been growing for decades, since long before the current dry spell. Much of the moss writing she found was embedded in green that had spread over the years, until it covered enough of the branchway to pad her steps for two or three strides. Then she noticed similar hieroglyphics in the sheaf of yellowed, crumbling pages left by the cartography team from the last drought time. She'd seen them before, but taken them for little cross-hatched sketches of bark patterns, hardly more than doodles. The cartographer was walking through a forest greenhouse one day, and a child laughed and pointed at her notebooks. He recognized the scrawled symbols. It's just a kid's thing, said his sister. The cartographer learned that the symbols were a code used in certain children's games throughout the overstory, a game she didn't know from her own childhood in the grasslands. She asked around further, learned that the game dated from a period when those hieroglyphics had been a fad, early in the last dry period, and eventually found someone who could give her a transcription key. The messages apparently weren't meant to be secret. They were the working notes of the last team of mapmakers, tags and labels that she followed to their long-abandoned workroom on the lower level of a greenhouse whose plants had all died years ago. Amid the spider webs and skeletal shrubbery, she found drawing tables strewn with astrolabes and T-squares. Some kind of diagram had been stretched across a span of the outside glass, casting a shadow where moss erupted from paint pots in which the old-time cartographers must have kept the milk and moss spore slurry they painted on the bark to leave their signs. The moss seemed to be the only thing still alive in the sphere. The diagram was so faded that she could only read it a little after noon each day, when the light shone through most brightly from behind it. It was a map of maps, the super sketch the map-making team had used to coordinate their efforts. She studied it, deciphering the hieroglyphics that crowded every bit of empty space. Near one of the upper corners, she found the word edge. It seemed a bit odd to be labeling where the paper ended, but she didn't think more about it. In spite of all the changes to the branchways over the last couple of centuries, the Megamap's guidance let her move ahead more quickly with her own map work. The recent edition map book she'd been working from had been prepared for a general audience, but the giant workroom map was full of shortcuts and insights that would only make sense to another cartographer. The more she came to rely on the map of maps, however, the more that one seemingly over-obvious note bothered her. She went over the symbol with a magnifier, but she hadn't read it wrong. She found more transcription tables, but she hadn't mistranslated it either. So she set out one morning for the place where the map of maps said Edge. It was slow traveling. She was soon past the branches she'd already mapped in that direction, and she could only justify the excursion to herself if she worked as she went. So she photographed and sketched, sketched and photographed, her shutter finger automatic, the auto-winder as persistent as her own breathing. The moss writing confirmed she was going in the right direction, 
and late on the afternoon of the fourth day she reached it. She climbed to the uppermost branches, higher than her explorations had ever taken her, so high that her lungs felt a little empty no matter how big a breath she took. She looked out across the treetops, and it seemed that the trees were subtly different, the bark with undertones more blue than green or gray, the branches a little more angular than anything she'd seen in either the greenhouses or old photographs. Then she looked down and saw the faceted geodesic of a greenhouse wall stretching away from her, so immense that she could barely see the curve of it. She looked up and could see where that wall continued so far overhead that it divided the clouds in the sky behind her from the sky ahead of her. Her head swam in sudden vertigo. All the greenhouses, the whole forest of giant trees, and the savannah beyond where she'd grown up, and who knows how much beyond that, all of it was contained within a vast greenhouse, far larger than she could have imagined. All her life, everything she'd known. The hieroglyph was there at her feet. Edge. Another just up the branch. More. In the direction that branch pointed, just visible in the distance, a flare of sunlight on glass. And off to one side, another, and a familiar faceted glittering. And did she imagine a third, further along the horizon? If each was a sphere as big as the one that, up until a few minutes ago, had been her whole world, then there was a lot more mapping to do. She was going to need a bigger team. That was Greenhouses. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Notes from an Imaginary Place. I'll be back in a month with a story from another fantastical place. In the meantime, my big news continues to be that I've got a story in the July-August 2022 issue of the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Um, it's even on the cover. If you know of a bookstore that carries periodicals, you may be able to find it there. Or if you're looking for a non-physical copy of the magazine, check out my website at rudydornerman.com, where I've got information on how to get an electronic copy of the magazine, as well as a link to a reading and discussion I did, along with another writer who's in the same issue. Um, and you can find both of those on my website. And if you do decide to check out the story, I hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you back here in another month. Thanks.